I want to say this before I get started with my message, is that this is a very, very important message that I'm going to talk about today. Because I've been really, uh, my mom takes communion every day and I have not done that. And so she, in our house, communion is a big thing with her. So a lot of time I kind of discard it as being not that important, but she was always doing it. So she does it not as a ritual, but she does it just to keep the connection up. And so back in November, we did a communion where I brought the actual communion wafers, not the little, the actual um, pieces of bread, the really dry pieces of bread. Then we did communion. Then we got around in a circle and we prayed for each other. And that was really powerful. So I thought, well, you know, communion is really powerful. So let's start thinking about it more and more. So November, December, January, I did some more teachings in January on communion. And then it was really strange because... Pastor Gigi was talking to me about it, and she was saying that we need to get more involved with communion. So her and I were kind of on the same spiritual line at the same time. I was thinking about it and praying about covenant and communion, and she was thinking about covenant and communion from, from, you know, from in Florida. So I thought to myself, oh, this is really important. So I've been spending a lot of time reading about communion. Um, Normie gave me a book. Uh, back in January from Benny Johnson called The Power of Communion. So I've been reading this book, The Power of Communion. And then also I got a book from her called Health and Wholeness Through the Holy Communion by Joseph Prince. So that was another really good book that I've been reading. And then I've just out of the blue, I was going through my box of Christian books and I've been, I've been um, watching Kent Copeland every morning and taping his show and then watching it and I, I wasn't really that connected with Kenneth Copeland in the past, but I really liked him. But over the last month or so, I've been really connected with his ministry and what he's been doing. And he's got an excellent book called How to Receive Communion. So it talks about communion, communion. Then what we're going to do at the end of the service is we're going to, we're going to do what Kenneth Copeland does at his church as far as how to receive communion. So I say that to say this. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Gigi was teaching, she was reading from the communion and she was reading from Luke. And she was reading from Luke 22, where it talked about the actual uh, Last Supper, and she was talking about um, the elements and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going I'm to read a couple of verses to begin with, where it says this. There's three places in the Gospels where it talks about the covenant. It talks about the covenant in Matthew 26. This is the blood of my covenant. In Mark 24, it talks about this is the blood of the covenant. And in Luke 22, it talks about this is the blood of the covenant. Only in Luke 22, it talks about the new covenant. It emphasizes new covenant. Now, in, in the earliest transcripts of, of Matthew and Mark, the new covenant is really emphasized as far as being a transition from the old to the new. And in Luke 22:14, 14, it says this, When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, and I don't know whether this is the version of the Bible that Gigi was reading from when she read about it, but she said this, I'd never seen it before, and I've read this communion over and over again, and I don't know what, uh, I don't know what translation it came from. But as she read this next two verses, they popped up out of the Bible to me, and they went from my head, I don't know if I can describe it in the right way, but they went from my head and they dropped right into my heart. And I got a revelation of what the communion was. Amen? And the Last Supper. It says this. And I have 
eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment. I, I should have blocked that off in bold. In the kingdom of God. And the revelation I got from this was, Jesus eagerly desired to eat the Passover with them. Why did he eagerly desire to eat the Passover with them? Because he wanted to set up a new covenant with them, whereas he could legally bless them in a way that he could never have blessed them before. God eagerly desires to set up a new covenant with you. Why? Because his heart and his desire is to bless you in ways that he could not bless you legally before that Passover and uh, going to the cross and to going to hell and dying and coming back and going to heaven. That was all part of the situation. But the eagerly desired was one thing that he eagerly desired, <clears throat> not only when he was on the earth, but I believe that he eagerly desired to come to earth to live his life so that he could set up a new covenant with people that he could become their legal guardian, their legal guard, just like what Patricia was talking about. And I just really believe that it's so important that we, we understand that when we take communion, that on God's end of the communion, God is eagerly desiring that we take communion so that he can forgive us, free us, bless us, and get back in right standing with us. He, he eagerly desires because in the kingdom of God, to the the communion and the blood covenant and the covenant of God all go together because it finds for you find fulfillment in the kingdom of God through the covenant that God has set up and the covenants that God set up in the Old Testament that we need to realize that when we take communion, we're reestablishing in our spirits and in our minds the fulfillment of the kingdom of God that was established when Jesus died and went to hell and was born again. That was the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And we need to take communion to understand that when we take communion, we're not only talking about Jesus' blood and Jesus' body, but we're also talking about how that was the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And it was the final fulfillment of the kingdom of God. There's not going to be any more fulfillment. It's going to be the final fulfillment. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about the covenants in the Old Testament. The covenants in the Old Testament was actually translated covenant, not testament. It should be called Old Covenant and New Covenant. It should be called the First Covenant and the Second Covenant. It should be called the First Covenant and the Last Covenant. That's what the covenants of the Old Testament are. Now, in the dictionary, I look this up. In the dictionary, it says this. A covenant is, a defined, is defined as, now this is so important, it's a solemn commitment. The covenant is a solid commitment that... Uh, um, Communion is a solid commitment, guaranteeing promises or obligations, legal obligations, undertaken by one or both of the covenant parties. There are many different types of covenants. If you look in the, in the, in the um, dictionary, I'm going to give you some of the different types of covenants that they are to give you more of a revelation of how wide and vast these covenants are. Between nations, there's a covenant. You make treaties. You make alliances within nations. Between individuals, you make covenants. You make pledges. You make agreements. Between kings and his subject, which portrays to Jesus, it's a constitution. But in the, in, the, in the dictionary, when you look this up, in religious purposes, in religious purposes, it talks about in the dictionary that a covenant is between God and man. It is a relationship with promises for blessing for keeping the covenant and curses for those who are breaking the covenant. 
So if you look in the in the old in the old um, dictionaries, which I have several old dictionaries, they've kind of cleaned up the dictionaries now, and they've made the dictionaries non-religious. But if you get some good dictionaries from back in the 30s and 40s, you can see where there's so much revelation in the definitions of words that talk about biblical things. So if you can ever get a chance to get an old Bible, I mean an old um, um, dictionary, check those out because there's always a definition of the Bible in there. Covenants were often ratified or sealed by these different things. They were sealed by signs, solemn oaths, and a meal. Even before the, 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 um, the Last Supper was, Jesus was following the traditions of the way it was in the East. If you see, the Bible is an Eastern book, so you have to look at the Bible from an Eastern point of view. If you're setting up covenants, you're setting up covenants based on these things. They're sealed by signs, they're sealed by oaths, and they're sealed by meals. You can't have those things unless you have all of them. Sacrifices were often part of the process of ratifying a covenant. Hence the, hence the phrase, and it talks about this in Stanley Livingston's um, book, E.W. Kenyon's book, it talks about Livingston, where they cut the covenant. Now, I've talked about cutting the covenant over and over again over the past three months because it's so important. Not because I want to repeat myself, but because it's so important that we realize that when we get into covenant with God, we're cutting the covenant with God. We're cutting ourselves off from the world, and we're connecting ourselves to, to the new covenant that we have with Jesus Christ. But there's a number of covenants in the Bible in the Old Testament. God has many covenants. God is a covenant-starting God, and God is a covenant-keeping God. The essence of the Bible is this. The essence of the Bible is that God eagerly desires to cut covenants with us because he's a legal God and he does things in a legal way. Pastor Brad said this at Alma's um, Bible study over at the Woodside Church back in October. He told Pastor Alma that the Bible is a legal document, and until you see the Bible as a legal document, the revelation of the Bible as how powerful it is does not come into your understanding or your revelation. And I'd heard that before, but when he talked about that back then, Alma's eyes practically popped out of her head, and her tongue practically dropped on the floor. And she said, I've never seen that before. I never realized before that the Bible was a legal document. I never saw it that way. And until you see the Bible as a legal document, you cannot see the way, you cannot see for true, that truly as it is, how powerful the legal document we have in the Old Testament and the proof of the, the power that we have in the New Testament. Amen? God cut a covenant with Noah in Genesis 6 through 8. He cut a covenant with Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 15. And he cut a covenant with Moses and Israel, the Israelite people in Mount Sinai in Exodus. There was provisions in the Old Testament. Number two, after God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he had them quickly gather at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Why did he do that? Because Moses went up to meet him and received the law. That is the commandments associated with the covenant that God was making with the people of Israel. In essence, God as king made a solemn covenant with the Israelites to be their God and they were to be his people. And there were two obligations that came with this covenant. This new covenant that God started with, with Moses bound each party to solemn obligations. And the obligations of the provisions of the New Testament with the Mosaic Covenant is this. And Jesus knew about all these covenants. He knew about all these things that God was doing. That was part of the Last Supper. Which he was tying it all together up at the Last Supper when he did the Last Communion. God's obligations are this. 
God will be with Israel and lead them on their journey. He promised he would do that. And God said he will also protect his people. And finally, God said he will provide for and bless his people. So this is Old Testament covenant language. God will be with Israel. He will lead them on their journey. God will protect his people. And God will provide for and bless his people. Those are the obligations on God's side. What were Israel's obligations? And also, what are God's obligations for us today? You know, the thing about it is, is that the Old Testament covenant, God doesn't change. God's the same yesterday and today and forever. The same rules and, and obligations that applied in the Old Testament still apply today. So you can say God will be with us today and lead us on our journey. God will protect us today and God will provide for us today. What are our obligations? Our obligations are this. We have exclusive love for God and to God alone. No other gods. Also, we have obligations for obedience to God's commands. One of the obedience of God's commands is in the, is seen clearly in the in the um, communion service when we go talk about Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. One of God's commandments is for us to, to do communion because it reminds us of the things that, that God has for us through Jesus Christ. Now, now, the thing that was really weird was right after God gave Moses the provisions of the covenant and brought down the Ten Commandments, the Israelites went and built that golden calf. Remember that? And they worshipped it. And they attributed to that stupid golden calf the salvation and the laws that God brought. But then, listen to this. It was an amazing example that God's great mercy, that he forgave their sins there, and he gave them a second law of tablets. Here's the Bible revealing the revelation of the ratification of Moses' covenant in Exodus 24. When Moses went and told the people all of the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. They are right there with God. Everything that the Lord says, we will do. Then Moses wrote down everything that the Lord has said. He got up early the next morning and he built an altar, that's part of the covenant language, at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. There's nothing that God doesn't plan for that God doesn't do that don't make sense. They set up the 12 altars for the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and, and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took what he called the Book of the Covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. So they set up their obligations, and God had his obligations. They were clean. Their hands were clean. Everything was going forward. Everything was going great. Then Moses took the blood and sprinkled, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of God's covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with your words. Be it unto you as you have said. So, this is interesting. Like, I was reading through this. I never saw it before in Exodus 24, 31. I never seen this before, and I've read this a hundred times. Moses and Aaron, Nahab and Abidu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up. They actually went up on Mount Sinai with Moses. It was amazing. And look at this. They saw the God, of Israel, the God of Israel. I never knew that anybody saw the God of Israel back then except for Moses. But they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky blue itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel, even though they sinned against the golden calf. They saw God face to face, and they ate and drank. Now, this, the, the history of Israel is one where they sin, they disobey, they worship false gods, 
then they're followed by God's judgment. It happens over and over again in the Old Testament. And then because of God's mercy and grace, they res he restores the remnant of God's people. That man, the, the covenant is clear here, that man's part is only to love God and only to obey God. That's their, that's their commandment. That's their obligation. But man was unable to do this for very long, and the old covenant always failed because of man's weakness, and God knew that. Now, number three, God's promise of a new covenant. God promised this new covenant that he was going to bring through Jesus Christ, and he was going to fulfill at the end through, through the communion and through the meal and through the um, Last Supper. Number three, God's promise of a new covenant in Jeremiah. I'm going to read this. And normally I wouldn't read so many scriptures, but so many of you guys are um, on your phones that I want to just read these, read these two so you'll get them too. Now, there's cycles of falling away and coming back and falling away and coming back from obedience to God and disobedience. But every time, God's love and God's mercy brings them back. So the Lord says this in Jeremiah. The time is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. You see, he goes back to Egypt. After, you know, he's in Jeremiah. But he goes back to Egypt and reminds them of what he did. Because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. When I was reading this scripture, the word husband popped out on, on the Bible. And I got a revelation to, to us. The Lord is a husband to us. He doesn't want to leave us. He doesn't want to, to have us be separated from him. It's a covenant relationship, almost like a marriage relationship with us. He's our husband. And it feels weird as a guy to talk about God as being a husband to us. But women understand this completely. My mom always says this to me. I don't have your father anymore, but God's my husband. And for women, God being a husband is a revelation that most men don't get. But when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, you know God is a husband. Now, that seems kind of strange. But to women and wives and ladies that caught the, the revelation, the concept of God being a husband is a real great revelation. I, would like, I, I sort of got that for myself. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now he's speaking to us now as born-again Christians, as new covenant Christians, as new species. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law into their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this is so, so important. This one verse right here says this. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me. And that means all know me on a personal relational basis. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wickedness and I remember their sins no more. This promise of the new future covenant is cited in the New Testament in Hebrews. It talks about when, when the people had the consciousness of knowing God personally. So when Jesus lifted up the cup, I'm going to lift this up. I don't want to stick. When Jesus lifted up the cup, blessed God and spoke the words of the new covenant over the Jews in that room, they knew the covenant. They lived the covenant. They sacrificed the animals. See, we need to go back and spend time where they were at the time when they were going through the situations. We can't look at this in terms of 2020. We have to see them in their room, and they were getting the revelation of the new covenant. And the hair must have stood up on the back of their necks 
because they realized to a certain extent that this was something different. This was the institution between God and man of a new covenant. That's why in Luke, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. So no more was it a covenant of bulls and goats. Now it was a new covenant of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless one, the sinless sacrifice, the sinless Lamb of God, as the new covenant and the eternal covenant and the forever covenant in, in, in the Bible. There's no more temporary covenant in the Bible. Now we're in a permanent covenant. Jesus is not coming back as, as, as the, the covenant of the world, as the Lamb. He's already done that. He's moved on. We need to move on too. So what are our provisions for the new covenant? I'm skipping now to the new covenant. The, the provisions of the new covenant are faith in God, trust in God, believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. On God's part, it is in salvation, permanent salvation. On God's part, it's eternal life. On God's part, it's the forgiveness of all of our sins through the death of his son. In addition is the provision that we have of the Holy Spirit to come and live within us and enable us to follow Christ in a new way, unlike the old Jews. The old Jews could not keep the covenant because they were unable through their, their fleshly bodies and their fleshly minds to keep the covenant. But because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, because we're new covenant, new covenant men and women of God, then we are able to keep the covenant because he's in us to help us. And he gives us revelation of the word of God that people in the Old Testament could never get. Only a few people in the Old in the Old Testament had received the Spirit. Some prophets, some kings, some elders. But the average Jew is not included. Under the New Covenant, it is different. When we take communion, and we take communion, we're, we're coming to, to the realization, the revelation, that we're part of the New Covenant of God that's available to every man, woman, and child on the earth. It's a free covenant. It's freely given. Now, in Acts 2, 38 and 39, it says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will recall. Jesus, in the covenant, in the communion, in the Last Supper, eagerly desire to set up this new covenant with you and I. Every one of you that's listening to this right now, Jesus eagerly desired for you to take communion today. He eagerly desired for you to partake of the communion of the new covenant. And I want you to think about that when you're taking the communion, that he's eagerly desiring for you to do it. Amen? Eagerly desiring. It's not a halfway measure with him. It's not a three quarters measure with him. Think about it. It's like, I was I was laughing because Gigi said, "This is this. I don't want you, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, okay? But this is what I was thinking. I was thinking about eagerly desired, and Gigi was talking about how you put um, Camo in the cricket den, and Camo was eating all the crickets. And I thought to myself, Camo eagerly desired to be in that cricket box. He eagerly desired to be in there. And I'm not disrespecting God, but you know that that eagerly desire that he was in there to get them crickets." God eagerly desires with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, his body, every part of God that there is. He eagerly desires for us to do communion and to be a part and have a revelation of the new covenant that he has with him. Not the covenant that he had with Noah, not the covenant that he had with Abraham, not the covenant that he had with Moses, but the covenant that he has with us through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God wants us purified from sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why does God say to examine your heart before you take communion? Why does he say examine your heart and ask for forgiveness before you take communion? Because he wants to be faithful. He wants to forgive us of our sins. He eagerly desires to forgive us from our sins. He eagerly desires to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's more on his part than it is on our part. There's more of a desire on his end to forgive us. There's more of a desire from his end to purify us than it is from our end. We think we want to be purified. He wants it even more because he's our father. He's our husband. He's our God. He loves us. Amen. The law that was an external and dependent upon human will and discipline is gone. It is now performed and institutionalized by the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to me on this. We live in Christ. We are connected to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And now we have spiritual fellowship with God. This new covenant, this new relationship, this new communion that we take, it's new, it's powerful. And it's now for every single one of us every single Sunday when we take communion. Number five, confirmation of the covenant as a meal. Amen. In the Last Supper, Jesus holds up a cup and invests it with new meaning. I want to read what he says in, in 1 Corinthians with, with, um, John, with Paul. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Many ancient coven, co covenants were confirmed or sealed with a meal. Jesus knew this. There's a lot of times... When you had you when you did a when you did a covenant with someone, not only did you cut the covenant, but you you confirmed that covenant with a meal. In Exodus 24, after the covenant was given, God invited the elders up into the mountain and listen to this. I'm just repeating what I said before. When they say saw God up on Mount Sinai, they saw God, and what did they do? They ate and they drank. They had a meal. Amen. We probably see other instances of sacrifices followed by a covenant meal. In covenants between Isaac and Abimelech, between Laban and Jacob, and between Moses and the Israelites, eating a fellowship offering in the presence of the Lord has the idea of peace and union between all parties. Jesus knew that. Covenant meal, having a covenant meal, the Last Supper, and then doing the communion was understood by the Jews in a way that we could never understand it. Jesus got them all together, set them up in a covenant meal. And then at the end of the covenant meal, he did the communion in his blood. That's how important it was for Jesus. Number six, the Lord's Supper as confirming the covenant. Now we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. I've set, up, I've set up all this information in the past to give you more of a revelation of how important all these different things are. Now I'm going straight to the Lord's Supper. I'm going straight to the communion. I'm going straight to the covenant. When you think of communion, I don't want you just to think of communion anymore. I want you to think of the new covenant. I want you to think of the blood of Jesus. I want you to think of the, the confirmation of the covenant as a meal that Jesus knew about and that God had set this up for thousands and thousands of years. Like I said before, Jesus is the high priest. He understood all these different aspects. And, and also everyone that was in that room understood how important it was to do the meal, how important it was to, re to represent the covenant because Jesus was going to set up a new covenant and unless the disciples knew what the old covenant was, they could never understand what the new covenant was. Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, 
drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant. He is the sacrifice. He is the offering. He is the perfect lamb, which is poured out for many. Many meaning this in the word, future members of the covenant. Jesus was talking about this covenant as being not just for the people in that room, but they had a revelation that this was poured out for many. He says this, poured out for many, not just them in that room, for everyone that, that uh, partakes of this, for the forgiveness of sins. In 1 Corinthians 11.25, Jesus' command extends, behind, extends beyond this night of the, of the Last Supper. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. So Jesus knew that this communion, this covenant meal, this covenant blood, this covenant bread was going to continue on throughout the centuries and it's going to continue all the way until he comes back. Amen? We eat his bread, we drink his wine, and so we are resharing when we do the communion, we are resharing the same covenant meal at Jesus' table. We're renewing our commitment to the new covenant that he established 2,000 years ago. We're reestablishing re the covenant. It's very important. It's very holy. It's very special. That's why Jesus does not want us to come back and do this haphazardly. He does not want us to do this lightly. He wants us to do us seriously. Number seven, the meal is giving and receiving hospitality. The key to the covenant aspects of the meal, it is useful to look at the Lord's Supper as a meal of close fellowship. Now, I want, you to, I want to go back to talk about this before I wind, wind up. I'm almost done. But we have to look at the Bible as an Eastern book, like I said before. In the ancient times, in the Near East, 2,000 years ago, the concept of having high hospitality was a very high responsibility. When a stranger came into your house, you had a responsibility, um, a responsibility socially to offer him not only a meal, but you were there to protect him as your guest. Examples of, of this are found in Abraham offering food to the heavenly guest. Remember how the heavenly guest appeared to Abraham? And the first thing Abraham did was he offered them a meal and offered them protection. Abraham knew the covenant. And what happened when Lot, Lot risked his life to defend them against the enemies of Sodom? On the other hand, if you received someone's hospitality, for you to then seek them harm in the Eastern way of thinking of things, that would be unthinkable. It's unthinkable to receive a meal from someone in the, in the Eastern culture and then to betray them. Unthinkable. It just never happens. That's why when Judas betrayed Jesus, it was especially horrible on the way of thinking in the Eastern culture because it's to fulfill the scripture, he who shares his bread has lifted up his heel against me. On the Eastern way of looking at things, Jesus' treachery went way beyond the trust of, of breaking um, fellowship with Jesus. He broke Jesus' hospitality. Jesus gave him hospitality, he gave him protection, he gave him um, a right standing, and, and Judas broke that. Terrible, terrible breaking of what he did in the, in the Eastern way of looking at things. Even when my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me in Psalm 41. Now, the invitation to the covenant is the last thing I'm going to talk about before we actually do covenant. So, the, number eight is invitation to the covenant. Hebrews 13, 20-21. One of the most important passages in the entire Bible uses this idea of invitation to a fellowship meal with the idea of the covenant. 
Hebrews is the book of the blood. Hebrews is the book of covenant. Hebrews is the book that reveals all these different revelations that John, that um, Paul got from the book of Hebrews that he understood becoming, because Paul was the greatest of the priests in his sect. He knew these things backwards and forwards. So in Revelations 21 and 6, it says this. This is in Revelations now. Ho, everyone who thirsts, who comes to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Now you have to come to God in a certain way. You can only come to God through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way. You can try to get around it, but you're not going to get around it. Incline your ear and come to me, Jesus is saying. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant. No, I thought this is Revelation. This is in Isaiah. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Jesus is offering the new covenant eagerly. He's eagerly desiring to offer the new covenant to people in that everlasting covenant in the cup signifying his blood shed on the cross. Matthew 26, 28, it says this, Drink from it, all of you. And in 1 Corinthians 11 through 25, it says this, This cup is in the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. 25. Now, to wind this all up, I want to say this. We are invited guests. God has invited us to sit at Jesus' table. Not only has he invited us to sit at Jesus' table, he has shared infin, in, intimate table fellowship with us. He has revealed intimate table fellowship, spiritual fellowship with us. We have revelations that he's given us in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the epistles, and in Revelation, of intimate table connections between us and with God. We have to take advantage of those intimate table fellowships. And when I have, when, 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 say, for example, come, somebody comes over to my house and spends time with us, like Michael's been over to the house and Jonathan's been over and Klaus and Babette and Brad and Jeezy, when they come over, I'm eagerly desiring to show them fellowship in my house and eagerly desiring that anything that I have is theirs. Because I have always had a kind of a, a revelation of the importance of sharing, give, and it shall be given unto you. It's blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. I get so excited to have someone come to my house to eat food, to be a part of my family, so that I can share intimate table fellowship with them. Amen? Intimate table fellowship. It's an honor to have people over to my house. It's a privilege to have people over to my house. It is a joy to have people over to my house. God is the same way. He loves, it's an honor for him to have fellowship with us. It's a privilege for him to have fellowship with us. We need to think of it that way. So in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, it says this, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, Paul had a revelation of the eternal covenant like no one else has ever had. It's, when you read Hebrews, it's amazing how he keeps going back to the covenant, the blood covenant, the covenant, the relationship, all these different things. The blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything for good, doing his will, and that he may work in us that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory 
forever and ever. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. God eagerly desires to be a husband to us. God eagerly desires to set communion up with us. He eagerly desired to send Jesus to bring people back. It was it was always, God doesn't change. So if God eagerly desired to do these things when Jesus did the, the um, um, Last Supper, he eagerly desired for the Jews in the Old Testament to give sacrifices. He eagerly desired to throw the, the this animal skins over um, um, Adam and Eve to bring them back into covenant. God's always tried to bring people back into covenant with him so that he could bless them, so that he could protect them, so that he could feed them, so that he could share intimate table knowledge with them. When God reveals things to you, he's sharing intimate table fellowship with you. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants you to pray and be, be, be close to him. Why? He wants to share those intimate things with you. He wants to share those special things just between you and him together, husband and wife, friend and brother, all the different ways that he wants to share. He wants to share with you more than you want to be shared with. Do you see what I'm saying with that? The essence of my message is God eagerly desires to share his revelation with you, his protection with you, because he's so loving and he's so giving and he's so much of a blesser that it pleases him to bless us. Amen? So let's get ready to do communion. And I'm going to... No, my book fell down. Okay. So I want to do communion the way Kenneth Copeland does communion. And he did communion the other day. It was really good. So I'm going to go... I'm going to read from this book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the proclamation before the breaking of the bread. This is from Kenneth Copeland's book right here. It's a fabulous little mini book. Father God, in the name of Jesus... We recognize that we have a blood covenant with you, a covenant that was ratified by the shed blood of Jesus at Calvary. Because of the fact that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed in our behalf, we acknowledge that he bore sin, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief, fear, torment, unforgiveness, strife, and lack for us. All those things he did for us. Amen? It's not a halfway communion. It's a full communion. Through his substitutionary sacrifice, we have complete, totally complete redemption and total deliverance from the works of Satan. Now, I want to say this to everybody that's listening. This is for us. As new creations of Christ Jesus, we realize our freedom has been bought and paid for. We are forgiven, completely forgiven. We are redeemed, completely redeemed. And we give thanks for it all in Jesus' name. So let's take the bread. And we'll share the bread. Amen. Now I want to read this next section. Judge and examine yourselves in the light of God's word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we examine our own hearts. We judge ourselves according to the authority of your word's revelation. In areas where we may have missed the mark with strife or unforgiveness or jealousy or covetousness or worry or unbelief. I now take Jesus as my advocate and my high priest. I ask forgiveness according to the word of God. Your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Okay, so I want to say this before we before we do any further. Therefore, we do not eat of the bread nor drink of the cup unworthily, but we rightly discern the Lord's body. We receive communion together now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are free from the works of Satan, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. So before we did the, the oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we ate, I ate the bread wrong. Let's, let's just take a little bit of time, like a minute. And if there's anything in your life that you want to um, get right with God, let's just take a minute and just be quiet and um, think about those things and ask for forgiveness so that God can bless us on the other side of this. Okay, so let's just take a minute, quiet, and just and just prepare our hearts for the blood. Amen. Okay, let's part. Let's let's talk about the cup. Now, I want to say this: when we're right in the midst of doing the communion, we're right in the midst of it. Okay, I want us to think about when we're partaking of the blood that God is eagerly desiring to do the same communion with us today, May seventeenth, whatever the date is today. He's is just as eagerly desiring to do communion with us today as Jesus was to do communion with the disciples. Just, just as excited. He's just as excited about us doing communion now as he was then. Because we're new creations. Because he was able to do communion 2,000 years ago. Now we're doing communion not as servants of God. But now we're doing communion as born-again, spirit-filled, new creations, new species. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Exactly what he planned for all those centuries. And we're on the other side of it and we're successful. Amen? After the same manner, he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the, eat the bread and drink the cup, you do in the Lord's death until he come. Let's partake of the cup. I know partaking of the cup is kind of religious, but it's what it says in this book. Now, I want to make this confession. Now, I want us to make this confession as a church together. Okay, all of us together, I want to make this confession. So, just follow along with me when I'm all done. Even though you're muted, I want you to say amen. This is just a wonderful little book. Make this confession. Father, we give you thanks for all that you have provided for us in Christ Jesus. We confess this day that we are the blessed of the Lord. This covenant that we have entered into at the new birth is a covenant filled with the exceeding great and precious promises of God. And we are partakers of those promises now through communion and through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are healed. We are redeemed. We are delivered from the authority of darkness. We are translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. We are, not, we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not belief. 
We come short of no good thing. All that we set our hands to prospers, and we praise you, Father God, for the communion and the newness of life that it brings, that we now enjoy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I want you to think about, with one second, I want you to think about this, like Gigi talked about a couple months ago, expect good. So what I wanted you guys to get out of this message is just two words, eagerly desired, eagerly desired. Everything, all the good things that, that you want to do in your life, God eagerly desires to help you. And he's given us this communion process to bring us back. Amen.